0: Last stories from Mini or Kagram. Today we're joined by Jimmy Adams. Jimmy, how are things going out in uh, Jamaica? Uh,
1: <laughs> it's a bit wet at the minute, um, to be honest. That we we we're experiencing the, the, the effects of a, of a tropical storm that is passing near to us. So we've we we've, we've, we've been having a bit of dodgy weather for the last week, but it's it's warm if nothing else. Uh, one minute, So, yeah, can't playing. We, we, we do need to rain, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's all good.
0: So, let's take it all the way back for yourself. Was cricket always your number one sport?
1: Uh, well, I kind of grew up playing cricket and football in equal measure. Uh, but I think about three, four years into high school, I had to make a decision because um, the, the seasons were starting to overlap. And, um, yeah, so I stopped playing football when I was in about year 10 in high school, fourth form. And from then on, yeah, cricket, cricket became the main focus because they, they, I was I was playing first class cricket or I started to play first class cricket while I was still in school. So, yeah, I, it, it sort of took over um, in a sense from, from that point. So... Cricket and football up to a And then from fairly early, it was just cricket.
0: Yeah. What was your strongest suit as a youngster? Bats, ball?
1: Uh, say that again. Can you repeat that? What was my...
0: What was your strongest suit? Batting? Bowling? As a youngster? Uh,
1: I, I, I grew up uh, as a genuine all-rounder. Um, even in even school, I, I did I, I did a little bit of everything, really. I kept wicket as well. Um, but... The truth is, I always saw myself as a as a batsman, um, even though I could do a, a few other things uh, well enough. Um, I started first-class cricket as an all-rounder, bowling left arm slow and, and, and batting sort of lower middle order. But at the same time, I was always batting in the top four of my age group, uh, certainly in school and in, in junior cricket. So uh, I, I've always seen myself as a batsman for that Yeah.
0: How much of an influence was Rohan Kanai on your career from a young age?
1: Um, he was very influenced, really. Um, outside of, of my father, I guess, during that period, um, nobody had as much influence on my life, not just cricket. Uh, so he came to Jamaica when I was about 14. Uh, ostensibly to to work with the this, the men senior team and he worked with them for a year and in his mind he he was going to have to oversee change um, and, and and he knew he was going to have to look at the, the the junior players in the system with a view to accelerating them through so it, it Within a year, he was looking after both squads. It's, it's, it's unheard of today, but, but he literally took over both both squads and um, pretty much remained as my coach right through until maybe three three years into my international career because he he actually transitioned to the West Indies team at the same time when I got into the West Indies team. So from 1980. 384 until 1998 99, I had him in and around either Jamaica team or a or West Indies team. So, um, yeah, so he 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 was the one who sort of when I say taught me the game, not necessarily the rudiments of the game, but certainly taught me, you know, the whole. How to perform at the highest level, type thing, you know. Yeah. So he was a massive influence.
0: So when you say that, is it? Did he talk a lot about mindset as well as technical elements?
1: Um, more, 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 thinking and decision making. Um, he, he, he. Uh, if he had a, a, a I would say he, he was very strong on basics. So, technically speaking, if, if if the basics weren't there, you know, he would he would he would intervene, but his biggest influence on me and, and my generation in Jamaica was the, the, the whole aspect of the, the, the decision-making side of what we call high performance. You know, why do you make that decision? And how do you set yourself up to make good decisions under pressure? And I think that was probably the key area that he had influenced me and, and a few
0: others. Then was it always an ambition of yours to make the step up to international level? Did you think you could make that step up?
1: It, it, it became um, a, a goal of mine from, from my teenage years. And I was fortunate enough to play club cricket with, among others, um, Jeffrey Dujon, who was at the time a current international player. Um, and he was like a role model and, and he was the one who uh, made me believe that it was possible. Um, I, I followed pretty much the same steps that he did to national under nineteens, West Indies under nineteens, first class, that kind of thing. So yeah, it became a, a goal pretty early in, in 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 my life and um with with Jeff in at the club. I I I, I thought it was possible and, and, and I always sort of looked to him for, for that bit of motivation, if if that makes sense.
0: When you got that maroon cap 1992 against South Africa, proud moment,
1: very um, dream come true, really. Uh, a a massive um event for me. Um, as I guess all firsts became, but yeah, you've been dreaming about it for a while. I've been playing first class cricket for for uh, let me see, 92. 1985 for seven years. So um, I, I was very pleased when it, when it did happen. And yeah, it's, it's one of the highlights of, of my professional career.
0: Am I correct in saying, did you replace the outgoing Sir Vivian Richards? Was that correct?
1: No, no, I, I no, they've, they've, they've played in the test series in 91 in England, but there were quite a few changes by the time I came in. Um, Viv had stepped down, Dujan had stepped down Marshall had stepped down. So it was it was actually probably good timing because there wouldn't have been any spaces in a in a Westernist team uh prior to, to that season. So it was it was kind of critical that I had the performances that I had in the regional first class season at that time because there, there are many stories of of especially uh during that, that that famous period of, of, say, opening batsmen who were good batsmen in the Caribbean who never got an opportunity because Greenwich and Haynes just had that, that position on knockout for so long. So I, I think the timing, the, the cricket guards were kind to me in terms of timing, uh, uh, performing very well in the, in the 92 season ahead of the, the home series.
0: And you got four, so four foot on debut as well as 79 with the bat. You also, later that year, you made your ODI debut. Um, yeah. Against Pakistan um, at that stage, did you see your strongest suit in the longer form uh, Test game or the shorter form? What they format longer format. Uh,
1: I, I had a game that was that was pretty more suited to to time cricket than than white ball cricket. But I um, eventually worked my way into the one day team, uh, usually as a as an all rounder. Either we could keep a batsman or bowling uh, a bit of tilth but um. I had periods where because of the composition of the team and and my form i was i was I was able to play one day cricket as an out-and-out batsman, uh, probably batting in in the in the top four or five but I would say that looking back my 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 strongest suit was was geared towards red ball cricket towards time cricket yeah
0: Yes, well statistically was in your first twelve tests, I was reading up some some figures over a thousand runs you're averaging yep. close to 80 87 you know brad it was not bad brad Rinesque, brad Rinesque, brad Rinesque, um, what what clicked for you um at that early stage in your test career what 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 do you think contributed to that that phenomenal run of form uh i don't know if there's any
1: one thing to be honest uh... I know that I was I was well prepared for international cricket by the time I got there. I had had a good grounding in 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 first class cricket in the Caribbean. Played a bit of cricket in England, which tightened my game a little bit. And I was I was I was very hungry. I'd waited a long time, and I didn't need anything to motivate me to just keep batting. If I got the opportunity, and and even. I think the first eight or 10 test matches that I played, I was only playing when Carl Hooper was injured. So I was still, you know, I was just, whenever I got the opportunity, I, I usually made a score, but it, didn't, it wasn't good enough to keep me in the team. And there was upward pressure because you had, you had people at home scoring a lot of runs, so you couldn't afford to, to slip. You know, you had Roland Holder, you had Chandra Paul, Keith Atherton, you know, a, a lot of batsmen who were capable and, and good players who were you know, looking for an opportunity as well. So the, if you got in, there was, there was never any lack of reason or motivation to stay in, because you had to really make use of the opportunity. So I think it's a combination of a few things. Did, you, uh, did
0: that ever knock your confidence? Because you were still racking, you're racking up some big runs and you're still in and out of the, the side. Uh, did it affect you it in any not, way? Not, in not so much confidence,
1: it, it was frustrating. Uh, I don't think it affected my confidence negatively. In fact, the opposite is true. It made me feel as if it, it, it proved I felt I was good enough to play not because it, of a feeling I was scoring runs when I got the opportunity uh, but it, it 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 was a very frustrating period but it, it, it was just the way it is. They had a very sort of hierarchical approach to, to selection at the time and, and these guys were senior players and they weren't going to break that hierarchy. You, you had to serve your time, and that was just the way it was. But it was it was frustrating.
0: And then in 1995, in a tour match uh, playing in England, you got struck. Mm. Um, I think was it you was it broke broke your cheekbone. Yeah. yeah. Did that um, affect you in any way in terms of the batting style that you uh, from then on later in your career?
1: I don't think I don't think the actual injury getting injured did, I think what led up to it, which was more mental fatigue, had, had, a, had a lasting impact from that point on. I don't think mentally I was ever the same again. Uh, the, the, the sad thing was that in, in those days, I mean, now it's well chronicled the, the sort of stress related issues that you can get in and around sport um, and cricket in particular. But we didn't have that information then. And it, that, that became a very frustrating part of my career because I knew something wasn't right. didn't know what it was and you kept trying to search for that that place that i had been in in the first sort of three and a half years of my career and it, it wasn't until long after i retired when people became versed in the sort of mental issues that can affect uh high performance uh athletes that i became aware of possibly what could have happened at the time um which it, it, it sort of helped me a little bit deal with it in, in hindsight because up to that point I still, there was still a frustration of, of not knowing what had happened. Uh, that provided a little bit of clarity and, and helped me to understand sort of what I had gone through at the time and, and certainly sort of in a, in, a, in, a, in a retroactive sense helped me to, to, to deal with it. But um. Yeah, it was, it was it was an intensely frustrating period, um, sort of between 96 and when I stopped playing in 2001. But, you know, I, I look back on it now and, and you take the lessons that, that can be learned. And it was still, you know, I was still living the dream. I still wanted to play international cricket and, and I, I think I did pretty well with what we know now about some of these issues. I think I did fairly well to hang in for as long as I did, given what, what was happening. But it's part and parcel um, of... of life I guess, and I have no regrets at all. Uh, But that that period, uh, 95, the the whole year 95 was a a pretty pivotal one in that respect for me and and my sort of relationship with the game.
0: Did you um, ever contemplate retiring earlier given um, the thoughts that you were having, or as you said, you still just, because there wasn't much said about the subject, you didn't really understand what was happening? No, the only, the only, the only,
1: uh, No, not really. I mean, there were there were tours that we went on at the time that weren't particularly happy tours for political reasons. Um, but as you got older, you realise that life was never smooth sailing and, and, you know, a lot of things in life that you look at from beneath have a different look and a different context when you actually get into the middle of it. And after a while, you realise that you know, anything to do with people was always going to carry a little bit of political foolishness and, and you learn to deal with it. Everybody learns to deal with it in their own way. So not really. Uh, I was still... You had frustrating days and frustrating periods but the truth is, if, if I was asked the question where would I rather be? I'd always say I'd rather be playing international cricket because that was, ultimately that was the dream that I was living through.
0: And then you got made the, the international skipper as well in, was it 2000? Yes. Was that, an, again, an ambition of yours? How did not that really. come about? No, not really. I, I,
1: never, I never had an ambition to lead uh, any team, really. I, I really loved playing. There's no two ways about it. I love playing sports. Never mind cricket. I mean, I love playing football. Uh still do to this day. Can't, but still love it. <laughs> um, but no, le- leadership was never something that I... I'd, I'd I'd held leadership roles in the game before, but it it, it always ran a long way second to actually playing. Um, but it, it that's the way it worked out. Uh, Brian stepped away from the game for a year or or for a period, sorry. And um, you know the opportunity came and and yeah, I, I, it was it was challenging and tough, but I really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it because you end up you end up learning a. A lot about yourself when when you carry that kind of responsibility, uh, and this is a lot of this is in hindsight. You've got an older and you've got a chance to reflect as an older person. But even at the time, I mean, it was a it was a fantastic honor to be asked to to, to lead a regional team, and and I, I still feel proud of of having been asked to do that. And uh, it, it carried its challenges, but it was a, a hell of a a learning process, and and it, it really helped my growth in my own self-awareness as a, as a, as a person. And, and I'm thankful for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, then maybe some tips that you can maybe give for young cricketers. Um, a lot is said in the media about, you know, when you're skipper, you find it hard to, some people find it hard to compartmentalise the actual captaining side and everything yeah. that entails alongside the actual um, suit that you're in the side for, whether, whether that be batting, bowling or the all-rounder. Any yeah. tips you can give for young cricketers who are perhaps feeling the same strains that the media people are saying?
1: Well, I think from my own experience, which is a pretty limited lens, but I, I think there are two things that stand out for me. Find a way to enjoy what you're doing. Make sure you're doing it for the right reasons and, and, and key or head of the list, top of the list, should be that you're having fun, you're enjoying it. it doesn't matter, you, you ask any of the top performers across most sports, if not all sports, what is driving them? And, and if they're being honest and you peel away some of the, 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 the outer layers, they enjoy doing what they do. That's uh, a fundamental issue for me, is, is find a place mentally where you're enjoying what you're doing. And, and two, I would say balance because for, for many years leading up to 1995, I lost track of balance. So, we're in an era where we self-regulated and, and self-managed, I, I I the balance was wrong and it eventually caught up with me uh, at a certain point. So I, I would say, to young players who might not even understand what you're saying when you say it. It might have to be explained to them. In some cases it might have to be enforced. As a head coach, I've had times when I've forced players to come away from the game, knowing that they needed a break. They couldn't see it. But as a coach who had been through certain things and, and there was the, the information out there, you could pick certain signs. So I would say enjoy what you're doing and, and just keep keep balance, you know, keep playing football or hockey or or squash if that is what you, you you have fun doing and and but but have fun that you really enjoy what you're doing
0: and then you know te- in your team in your career you played with some of the greats Lara, Ambrose, Walsh what made them so special on the field? Ah uh, I think very high levels
1: of skill which yeah is is I guess pretty obvious and then just the consistency, which I think in a weird sense, I my thinking on the game or in sport, I, I put consistency now as a skill, as something that you've learned over a period of time. And then it, it, it's it's very difficult for these performers, a Ronaldo or a Lara, as you say, or, you know, your top players, you can't separate one from the other. So, so consistency, although it is learned, it, it then becomes part of your sort of skill package. And these guys were were extremely consistent. So that they ca- because we've seen people on the other side of the fence who are sometimes more skillful, but they're not consistent, and and they never climb to the same heights. So Carl Hooper would never climb to the same height as a Brian Lara, even though Carl was probably a more skillful 19-year-old than Lara was. But Lara tapped into, however he did it, but he tapped into that consistency uh, factor. And and when you reflect after a career, both of them had pretty long careers. uh, It's chopped the cheese, But, but, but it's not in the area of what we tend to call God-given talent. It was just that Lara was far more consistent over a period of time than 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 Carl And
0: Then, looking back, would you say that um, the way they practice was different, or was it as, or is it just an intangible quality that they were able to tap into that consistency factor? I think
1: it had to do with a lot of things. I, I think, like I said, is it tends to be taught. You, you learn consistency. I, I don't think. Uh, whether we learn it formally or informally, we 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 either learn it or we don't learn it. I think uh, in 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 critical phases in our career, um, and that can be shaped through environment. It can you know so if 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 you grow up in a so uh, what's a what's an anecdotal one? So we we grew up playing five games for a season. So we tended to have a different mindset from an english youngster who grew up with 18 or 20 first class county games you're always going to have another opportunity another opportunity we we only had you know 10 innings minus two declarations minus one for whether you look if you had eight innings in a season your season would be over so you, you you without thinking about it or without knowing it we were fashioned in that era of really making use of opportunities because there weren't many so that is something that we learned, but we learned it through the environment. If you get what I'm saying. So so if you're talking about how 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 people become consistent, it, it can be that you know you have a coach who gives you a rollicking if you if you're not, or it could be that you grew up in a very competitive club environment as a kid and you and you know you get dropped two or three times and it hurts you, and you, you vow never to get dropped again, and that just kicks in. And however it happens with a formalist through a coaching structure and a selection structure or informally, you learn consistency. And, and consistency becomes the dominant factor for the, for, for every achiever and, and, and more so for the high achievers. So you look at a very coolie these days, or a Steve Smith. Um, I, I'm not sure if Steve Smith's technique is, is better than, I don't know, uh, uh, let's say a Joe Root. No, Joe is a bad example. Somebody who's like a level down. Um, I don't know. If, uh, Johnny Bear scored it, say for instance. But because I'm sure the, 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 the technical people could pick apart both techniques, you know, in this age of, of technology where you're super slow-mo everything. But the fact of the matter is that Steve Smith is on a different plane. why? Because he's more consistent. So I guess one in every home many in innings, Steve gives you a, a, a big score, Beer store would be one in more innings. Um, and th- they are contributing factors, I think, to consistency, like I alluded to before, but the fact of the matter is that both of them have would have technical chinks in their armour, but one rides above that and, and is averaging 16 Test Cricket and the other one is averaging 40-something. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, no, makes sense. And then the end of your career to move into coaching. Yeah, how did that come about? Was it always an ambition of yours? To go? Um, not, not, not
1: really. I, I sort of left the game um, when I when I, when I walked away from professional cricket in the mid two thousands. I was just curious on on life. Really, I, I, I was looking forward to life after cricket. I'd worked for many years before I came into the game, and so there was no fear of life after cricket. But I, I had no plans as to what I wanted to do. But I, I saw this this world in front of me, and and I was curious about a lot of things. So I did, I did a bit of coaching, I I did media for a few years, um, and both of them sort of occupied my early post playing period, and. As, as time went on, I, I was I was being drawn more and more towards the, the sort of player development side of things. Um, I, I, I kept. I, I remember. I remember doing media doing commentary for a few years, and, and I, I get frustrated watching things happen on the cricket field. I just. I keep asking myself, why is that player making that decision? What, why? How? How? It used to frustrate me. I was just like, I, I without, probably. Formally recognizing it, I I just whenever the opportunity came to maybe play a role in getting players to hopefully make better decisions, I I ended up started doing more in the in the player development side, and and I I gradually moved away from media. So by the time we got to I don't know two thousand eight two thousand nine, uh, a position opened up here in Jamaica to to. For the role of, of technical director for, for, for our cricket program, it's pretty similar to the director of cricket role that they have in in, in the in the county system now. And then from there, I got the opportunity to 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 work at Kent for about five years as head coach. And then from oh, yeah, how was that
0: experience course. coming over to England? Yeah. I
1: it, it was a it
0: was a it was a massive
1: learning learning curve for me, and and. It has really helped prepare me for the role that I'm in now. Uh, in the sense that a lot of the decisions uh, are, are around best practice and and doing making sure that good decisions are made in 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 the, the, the sort of player development realm. And the the, the, the stint in Jamaica and, and and followed by England has. has has really helped me from a, uh, I guess, a confidence and a communications point of view. In that, it's, it's weird if 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 you live something, even if you're a poor communicator, people people kind of sense that you know if, if you're making a recommendation, it's it's not you're not talking from theory. You, you've sort of been there, kind of thing. And, and I guess it's the same. The, the, the closest analogy is usually when you have people who are cancer sufferers, they tend to respond better to other people who have been through it. I, I don't know why, but it's just, I guess, a, a sort of invisible empathy that, that develops knowing that you've been where I am and, and, you know, you're making a recommendation based on actual experiential evi- evidence, I guess, as opposed to just reading a book sort of thing. So the two roles have... have, have been pretty critical to, to me being able to to confidently make recommendations in certain areas and and hopefully people uh, build on that confidence so Kent was tent was was massive where that was concerned to 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 be in a, a first world cricket system for five years uh, hopefully contributing but certainly learning from the experience so yeah it was it was it, it was a win-win all round. I think certainly helped me in my development to the point where I am now.
0: What do you make of the structure of the English county game? Do you think there's actually too much cricket being played? I know they've got like in, uh, with the England side they've got central contracts, but
1: obviously yeah. with the
0: actual county players, do you think they're just um, playing too much cricket? Uh, that's, that's
1: that's an interesting one. Uh, I think there are certain. Phases in in the county season. Uh, I remember for the for the period I was at Kent, you'd always have every county would have it, but you'd always have that <laughs> that two week period where you would play. You'd go on the road and you'd play uh, thirteen days of cricket in fifteen days. And you, as a coach, I, I mean. There's theory out there, but as a coach, you, 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 you'd see it happen before your eyes. You see the lot of diminishing returns kick in. Uh, and you, you, the whole, your biggest challenge as a county coach in that phase of the year would be how to get your best players through to September still standing. Everything was just wrapped around how can I get my top players? Into September with, with another four first class games left before the end of the season, still actually wanting to play the game, uh, and so you could probably say, in a in a sort of generic sense, there is a too much cricket. If if, if you're talking about straight high performance, the, the, the season isn't optimal, put it that way, and they keep adding more formats to the season, which I I, I kind of understand from a commercial point of view. I get that. Um, but it comes at a cost. So I, 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 I always feel that over the years, your you, you top county players were the ones who could find a place. You know, a Graham Hick, a Mark Rampicash, Carl Hooper, Courtney Walsh. Guys who would come and relentlessly season in season give you 1,500 runs or 80, 90 wickets. They, they would find a place mentally and just stay there. But it, it, it was never a place, forget the performances or the scores that, that, that went in the scorebook. It, it, it wasn't a place where you would see the best of them because it, it, it was a place where they would survive and, and still give you um, your money's worth, but it would never be where they would peak um, because there was just too many days of cricket in, in that five-month period. Um, but I think the people who run English game have always been aware of that but you, you balance that against all the commercial aspects and voila, you end up with, with this, the sort of combination that you have these days. Um, I, I, yeah, the, the, I think in terms of getting the best competition, which is best be best, which is Mark Rampakash at his, at his uh, mental peak versus uh, Graham Hick at his mental peak. I, I don't think you'd have ever seen that at County Cricket um, or maybe not. But by the time you get through May and halfway through June, that's, that's gone, you know. But those fellas were good enough where they could stay in a certain place mentally and still turn it, you know. But my question is what would the standard of cricket have been? if Going back even before my time, if if, if you'd had these guys really physically and mentally sharp, 100% sharp, would, would it have made county Cricket maybe a little bit standard a little bit higher who knows but yeah it, it's we never find out but it, it's an interesting theory
0: and then do you still keep tabs on kent currently yeah in the progress yeah you
1: don't, you don't you don't spend five years on, on, on and <laughs> as an institution and not and not follow up so yeah i'm very proud of them having made it up into um into first division cricket and they're, they're always knocking on the door in, in the shorter formats and I think like like most Ken supporters I'm keeping my fingers crossed that the the big trophy isn't too far away.
0: And then your role currently as cricket West Indies director. Just for those that may not know the exact, yeah. exact maybe we can give like a one two minute overview of what your role actually involves?
1: I don't need two minutes mate it's just to help it's just to help West Indies make better cricket decisions. In and around, more, more so on the on the development side and the, the, the high performance side. Just making sure that we make good cricket decisions.
0: And then, where do you see the game uh, moving forward in West Indies? Um, obviously, with the, you're one of the strongest T20 sides in world cricket. You think that um, would it be fair to say a bit more consistency uh, needs to come in the Test game?
1: We, we, we need to become more consistent across across all formats. We're we going through our phase, now you know, where a lot of our T20 stars are are getting to the end of their careers. So we, we're gonna. It won't be long before we have a a new generation of, of T20 players, and the same questions are going to be asked. Uh, can we be as consistent as maybe the former generation were when they were winning trophies and and world titles? But certainly, in Test cricket and fifty-over cricket, we, we know we're near consistent, enough you know, and which is reflected in the rankings, and and that's that's a big. Uh, that's a big a target or objective for us is, is to get the team to become more consistent where results are concerned. And um, that is, is really our, our, certainly my, my number one focus. Um, looking at it through, coming at it from different angles, one is obviously clear development. But then that involves quite a few things. But ultimately, the, the ultimate target and objective is is developing a, a, an international team, men's and women's, that are more consistent than we are now.
0: In terms of like, fan engagement uh, back yeah. in the West Indies, do you think there's still love for the game?
1: Oh, massively. Massively, massively, massively. Um, just to put something to bed, you know, technology has brought more... <laughs> information into my living room so yeah I watch American sports as do most of my friends in Jamaica Uh, so yeah but it hasn't taken away from the passion around the the, the top two the top three which which are football cricket and and athletics certainly in Jamaica anyway but but going more Caribbean wide the the passion for cricket is still there um what they're crying out for is 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 just a a team that they 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 can identify with through Good performances, consistent performances, uh, and that also helps to helps to motivate us. But but I have no no shortage of Caribbean people who have a deep deep love and and an abiding passion for cricket, really. Uh, and it's still there. It, it actually adds fuel to everything that I do. The fact that you, you you know when you speak to people, not just my generation, because it's one of the good things about T Twenty cricket it's really sold the game to uh, uh, a younger demographic that, that might not have run willingly into test cricket for instance and and I'm grateful for it because I'm not really concerned what develops your love for the game just just develop a love for the game and, and it's still there and, and it's there across the different the different generations um, what the younger generation, or how they approach the game and the platforms that they use to approach the game might be different from the ones that I use or my father might have used. But there's still a passion for the game there, for sure.
0: So, Jimmy, perfect, fascinating interview. Really appreciate your time.
1: No problem. All yeah.
0: the best for the months ahead.
1: I'll miss you too. And I hope you come out of lockdown very soon. And, and please stay safe and be careful.
0: Yep, stay safe. All. So, Neil Cagram, Cricket Love Stories, Jimmy Adams. Thank you.